0: The Gut Pharmacist Podcast with Riley Ramosco, traditional naturopath and holistic nutritionist. Today's episode will be geared towards difficult cases of SIBO and IMO, and for those who are familiar with it but want a deeper understanding. For those who aren't familiar with SIBO and IMO, please refer to my older episode called All About SIBO slash IMO and IBS to get a better understanding of what it is, what causes it, natural treatments, and a lot more. SIBO is a very common contributor to IBS symptoms, so it is very important to know and to look into. And I have a wonderful expert in the field today. This episode has a very special guest and someone who is very well known in the field of gastroenterology and especially SIBO. Dr. Allison Seebecker will be here today. She is the 2021 Lifetime Achievement Award recipient from the Gastro ANP, co-founder and former medical director of the SIBO Center for Digestive Health at NUNM, a clinician, researcher, patient advocate, and educator. Her faculty positions include NUNM, where she teaches advanced gastroenterology, and the GI Health Foundation's IBS board. She also co-founded multiple SIBO and gastroenterology conferences and is the author of the free educational website, SIBOinfo.com. Dr. Seebecker's integrative SIBO protocols have helped thousands of SIBO patients internationally. Let's bring her on welcome to the gut pharmacist podcast i have dr allison seebecker here world renowned naturopathic physician and gastroenterology expert particularly a SIBO queen i found her on multiple gut health summits and especially SIBO SOS and i actually learned so much from her in my beginning stages so i'm so honored to have her here today thank you so much for being here
1: dr allison Thank you. Thank you for that lovely intro. And I'm so glad to be here. Oh, thank
0: you. Yeah. So um, so explain to us briefly your background with SIBO and why did you choose to specialize in SIBO specifically?
1: I, I I feel it must be a very similar story to so many other people. It's because I have the condition myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I I had GI issues that just were just terrible um really bothering me most of my whole life i i believe i got the condition at about 5 years old and um i didn't figure it out until so much later in life um actually until after i went through medical school and so once i figured it out and and found things that could help me that really really gave me the passion to focus on this condition. Because it showed me that um, even at medical school, and I went to naturopathic medical school where we dive very deep into mysterious conditions, even there, no one knew what to do or knew about it. So I saw a need. I saw a need for getting this information out and trying to help this population, of which I am one, (laughs) people who have SIBO. And you know, this is also can be considered IBS in many cases, irritable bowel syndrome.
0: Right. And so you're kind of a pioneer in this area. I love that. So in clinic, what are some of the most common root causes? Because as naturopathic physicians, you're focused on root causes. So for SIBO and IMO, what are some of the ones you see?
1: Well, the most common I saw in my practice was food poisoning, also called acute gastroenteritis. Um, That's the most common cause of SIBO. And I have to say that I saw it a lot in clinic. Another thing that was really common is a combination of risk factors that would often include food poisoning, because most everyone has had food poisoning in their life. And maybe you thought of it as traveler's diarrhea or stomach flu, that sort of a thing. But most everyone's been exposed to it, but not everyone goes on to get SIBO. So, um, so I would say there there are many diseases that can cause SIBO and medication. So for instance, um, proton pump inhibitors are could, can be a risk factor. So can antibiotics and opioid painkillers. And so um, just imagine somebody who would have had about a food poisoning or two in their life. Maybe they'd had one of those medicines. Maybe they had some of the diseases that are risk factors like hypothyroid um, or, um, you know, diabetes, things like that. But it, it wasn't until there was like a final straw that that, you know, really brings on the the disease. So they might've had accumulating risk factors. And what, what I think this is about is it creates a terrain, you know, in someone that predisposes them more so to that final trigger, giving them SIBO. Um, so I, I'd say those are the two most common is food poisoning or a combination of risk factors. It's hard to say which one it was, it was just a final one. And then just some of those elements I mentioned on their own, like just antibiotics or just Um, opioid painkillers. And then a lot of people uh, or just some of these diseases that can cause it um, like also superior mesenteric artery syndrome. That's a rare one, but I happen to see a lot of patients with that Lyme disease, endometriosis, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, Mm. things like that. But then one other one that was really common is mysterious, unknown. We, we couldn't figure it out. I think, you know, I've devoted myself to study of the underlying causes. And so now in some of those cases, maybe I could figure it out, but mm-hmm. it's mysterious for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Love that. That was a great explanation. So are there potentially any complications from having SIBO or IMO?
1: Yes, it can cause a host of other problems and conditions, unfortunately. So for instance, um, it can cause lactose intolerance, fructose malabsorption, generalized malabsorption syndrome, and that could also include things like omega-3 fatty acid deficiency, vitamin D or vitamin K deficiency, the fat-soluble vitamins. Um, It could lead to leaky gut, um, even subclinical atherosclerosis, believe it or not, and also a whole bunch of liver problems like liver inflammation, cirrhosis, and um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, things like this. So it it can cause a host of other problems. It, it can even set the stage for MCAS, which is mast cell activation syndrome. So um, it's a good thing to get rid of it, you know, <laughs> because, right. because it's creating a, it's creating a circumstance that's abnormal, not good, in the small intestine, which is where we do our digestion and absorption of all of our food. So you could just imagine that's not good. We wanna we want to get that area properly functioning.
0: Right, so in something as simple as people believe to be IBS, it could be something serious later on. So today we're talking about more tough cases. So what are some common reasons for people who have multiple relapses and just can't get rid of the SIBO or IMO?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. The, um, well, first let me just state that unfortunately uh, that's the most common presentation in SIBO. About two thirds of cases are chronic and and thus have relapses. Uh, A third of cases, this is what the studies show anyway, uh, don't have any relapses. So that's great, but the majority people relapse. So um, I'd say the, the number one reason really has to do all with underlying cause. So there are many currently incurable chronic diseases that cause SIBO. I mentioned some of them. So um, food poisoning is one, that's an acute uh, circumstance but it goes on to cause an ongoing problem that continues to cause SIBO. eller danlos syndrome is another one, diabetes, Hashimoto's hypothyroid. So these are examples of conditions that can continue to cause SIBO as long as they are there. And currently we don't know how to eliminate those conditions completely. Another thing is sometimes a person has an underlying condition that's causing SIBO that's challenging to eliminate, so it takes quite a lot of time and effort to get rid of it, like Lyme disease or um, abdominal adhesions, which are like scar bands in the abdomen. Uh, That can take time, a lot of body work and things. You can also use surgery, but there's complications with that because it might cause more adhesions. So those aren't the easiest things to get rid of. And so let's say you have them, you're working on getting rid of them, but then you can be relapsing during that time. And then maybe the underlying cause hasn't been identified. So you don't even know you know that, you haven't put your attention to that yet. So that could be why you're relapsing. You just, you have a cause that is continuing to cause SIBO. And then another, another topic altogether here on this of why someone would relapse is um, maybe there was insufficient treatment and they may not actually have a chronic case of SIBO. So it's really common for people to stop treating SIBO after maybe one or two treatment rounds um, because it didn't help their symptoms. And this is common. Um, If somebody has higher gas or worse SIBO um, in terms of the amount of bacteria that are overgrown, it can take three, four, even six treatment rounds to get rid of it. And symptoms might take a while to come down. And if a person doesn't know that, they might do one treatment, two treatments and just go, oh, I have a tough case of SIBO. And they never even got rid of their initial SIBO. They still have it. So mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, they still have the symptoms of they're like relapsing. Mm-hmm. They never got rid of it. And then last would be they're not using a prokinetic. So prokinetics don't stop relapses, but they can delay it. And so, for instance, if somebody's not on a prokinetic, maybe they would have relapsed three or four times in a given year. But if they were on a prokinetic, they might've only had one relapse. So that's that's another thing to think about.
0: Excellent. And in your SIBO recovery roadmap, I think you have three treatments. So the elemental diet, herbs, and then prescription antibiotics. So what helps you determine the appropriate treatment for the patient?
1: Well, the number one thing is, um, is the breath test that we use to diagnose SIBO because this lets us know which gas a person has and how high it is. And those are the the two real determining factors because once we know the gas, then we can choose which treatment we want to use. And the severity really helps us with this as well because antibiotics and herbal antibiotics, uh, they both lower gas, sort of a similar amount per treatment round on average, somewhere around 30, 35 parts per million um, of lowering of the gas levels. Average, right? It could be more, it could be less. But whereas elemental diet can lower gas levels by about 70 parts per million on average. And so if somebody has really high gas, we wanna know that because that will steer us towards the elemental diet um, if, the, if the person wants to do that because we can get get things handled a lot faster that way. The other thing that um, that comes into play is just the person's history. What have they tried that has or hasn't worked? So um, that that's really important because obviously we don't want to do something they've already tried that didn't work very well. And by work, I mean um, with a test, like did it not lower gas? Right. Um, or were they sensitive? Like they couldn't handle the treatment. They were having reactions or things like that. Um, and then, you know, that that really helps guide us, like their sensitivities and their um, their history of what they've tried. And also just their wishes. Uh, some people have very strong, philosophical beliefs and approaches. Um, like for instance, they don't believe in natural treatments and they only want pharmaceuticals or the opposite. They are completely opposed to antibiotics and they only want natural. So mm-hmm. this, this of course guides us, right? So right. We, we have a discussion, but I would say overall that the test is, is the number one guiding factor and then their history.
0: Awesome. Okay. And then, so we have a third gas that's not commonly, I guess, looked at in allopathic medicine, but in naturopathic medicine and those who are more, I guess, up to date, certainly look at the third gas, which is the hydrogen sulfide gas. So I know this is kind of a loaded question. You could talk (laughs) forever. I know. (laughs) So why is this gas so unique and why is the treatment so unique for this particular gas compared to the other two?
1: Well, um the thing is we've always known that this gas was was there and and you know sort of a type of SIBO, so to speak. We developed uh, distinguished the types by the gases, hydrogen, methane, hydrogen sulfide. But we never knew the bacteria that were overgrown specifically in hydrogen sulfide until the last two years and now, um, and now just this year, we're recording this in 2022. So um that this gave us problems because if you don't know what's specifically overgrown, then you don't know what killing agents will target it in terms of antibiotics and herbal antibiotics. For elemental diet, that can work on everything because it's working with a different principle, which is um, to starve the bacteria. So that will work on everything. But um, that's been really made it complicated because we just didn't have enough information to know what the right agents were to use. So that was one thing. And then the second thing is that when hydrogen sulfide gas is in excess, it is toxic, a- actually toxic to our cells and mitochondria. And that leads to a whole different set of symptoms. If somebody has a real lot of this gas, which are um, a lot of neurological symptoms, um, things like tingling and um or pain in the extremities, light sensitivity, and and other things, a lot of body pain, and an overall feeling of being very toxic, there's more. But in essence, um, some of the other things that that can be used in the treatment of hydrogen sulfide are aimed at helping with sulfur metabolism um, to, to decrease those toxic-like symptoms. So that's that's the long and short of the answer. And, and I would just point out that methane is similar. Methane is um, in that it's it can be difficult to treat and more complicated. And that's because it's not a bacteria, it's um, an archaea, which is a similar microorganism to bacteria. And um, antibiotics, which are aimed at bacteria, don't necessarily work on these archaea. We've, we've had to find specific antibiotics that do work on archaea, and there's only a few. And same with herbs. There's um, there's only one or two that we know can do the job. And so we're limited in our treatment options, and that, that makes it more complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you did mention prokinetic before. So I do have a previous podcast that kind of goes over the basics. So let's assume people know what that is. Um, do you prefer Prescription prokinetics or supplement natural prokinetics? And then how long do you suggest using one?
1: I don't have a preference between the two um, because I've seen them work, you know, natural versus prescription. I've seen them work all in, in various different patients. But what I can say is that per, because we're kind of talking about tough cases. So people who have tough cases, um, very often the natural prokinetics aren't strong enough for them they they just don't do the job well enough. And how we assess that it's doing the job is how often someone relapses, right? So, you know, if they have chronic SIBO, how long, or how long do they relapse? So if, if it comes, if it's seeming to come too quick, then you may want to switch to a prescription one. So, and then in really tough cases, we use even two prescriptions at a time. We'll use one at night and one in the morning. Wow. So for, you know, for very difficult cases. So, um, so they're all, they're all, effective. It just depends on the case and who you're applying it to. However, I do want to say that I have seen, I have seen tough cases where the natural prokinetics are effective, right? So you just have to try it and see.
0: Right. Depends on the person as always. Right. And then, so what is your take on probiotics? Some practitioners. Sorry.
1: Do you want me to give the length? You asked me about the length. of. Oh, Oh. I did. Yes. Yes. (laughs) How long do you recommend using a prokinetic? So um, the general recommendation is start out for about three months. And the reason why is because the the, the study show the average time for someone to relapse, if they're gonna have chronic SIBO, because we don't know, right? We won't know until we see how it goes, would be at about two and a half months, at least once you first cleared SIBO. Uh, let me just give a caveat here. If you have chronic SIBO, that means you will relapse. And as you go on in that journey, we can usually get the relapses to stretch much farther out, but that just happens as we customize and work with somebody. Um, So not everyone will relapse that quickly, but um, in the beginning, they may. Therefore, if we take the prokinetic to about three months, we're kind of getting past that most average relapse time. And so, okay, good. We're past that average relapse time. Now, maybe let's stop and see what happens. And then when we go off, it, maybe a person won't relapse. And then we just know, oh, this is great. You're not a chronic, a chronic SIBO person. If they begin to relapse off the prokinetic, then we go, okay, you're chronic SIBO. Let's get back on that prokinetic. Um, sometimes people have chronic SIBO that doesn't relapse often. Like it relapses once a year, even without a prokinetic. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, you're just customizing it to the person, you know, maybe if you did use a prokinetic, um, you would only only relapse once every two years. And these are the things you figure out over time, you know, along in the journey, but so on average, just give it about three months and then, then you can start uh, decreasing it and see what happens.
0: Okay, good. Good to know. And then, so back to the probiotics, some practitioners are totally for them in SIBO. Some are against what is your take
1: on probiotics? I'm, I'm in the middle. Um, as you say, know, we've got these sort of these two factions. So in general, I I love probiotics, like who who wouldn't love them, right? So, so many amazing studies. We know that humans ate probiotics and fermented foods at almost every meal throughout all the history of humans, right? So they're important. We need them. We've got this, this, this two-part sort of dichotomy here with SIBO in the studies. So, um, and When we compare that to real life so in the studies we've got over like 35 studies on probiotics in SIBO and they are phenomenal the studies are amazing so they show really good results uh, sometimes for symptoms sometimes for actual eradication of the SIBO which is astonishing right and they use all different every study except for maybe one or two that i can think of uses different probiotics all different kinds of probiotics So that generally suggests probiotics are very good for SIBO. Then we take it to real life with patients and we find probably a majority of them have trouble with them and they aggravate their symptoms. They make them worse. Um, Now, it depends on one's, um, you know, speaking as a practitioner, as one's patient population, there are some practitioners who probiotics go great with their patients. Others, every single person has a bad reaction. And that kind of makes this split, right? Of Some practitioners go, no, it doesn't go well. And others go, it goes great, right? So I find that it's just based on the individual. So um, I would like to use them, and I do use them in people before we start the antimicrobial part of treatment and during. That's when I like to try them. Find out if they're tolerated. If they're Mm -hmm. tolerated, great, we go for it. Um, If they're not tolerated, then we don't. And that's fine too. That's fine too. I've seen many, many SIBO patients never use probiotics and get all the way better. And and I've seen people use probiotics and get all the way better. So I don't think it's based on the condition. I think it's based on the person, their particular case and how well they're tolerating things. You can also do things like try different probiotics. Maybe this one would work better than another. Uh, My friend, uh, Michael Ruscio gives three categories, which I think is very interesting. Dr. Ruscio, he gives uh, the probiotic yeast, which is Saccharomyces boulardii, all of our second would be all of our typical lactobacillus bifidus and third would be the spore uh, probiotics like a uh, megaspore, or just thrive or those. So that's another thing to think about. If you've tried one type, maybe try another. So that's what I say. I say, try them, see if they work for you and maybe try a different one. If it's not, and if it's still not working, then don't do it.
0: I love that. And thank you for giving us the three categories, because there's so many different types, and certain people need ones that others don't. And so obviously, diet does help with some symptoms, the supplements, medications are primarily the helper with SIBO and IMO. But certainly there's lifestyle things, right? So is there any other lifestyle medicine that you recommend to your clients that can help with long term recovery?
1: I think no matter what the condition, probably the number one thing that helps is sleep is good sleep. Mm -hmm. That's so hard for so many people, right? They're struggling (laughs) with getting good sleep. And they're like, I know, I know. Why did you say that? I know. What can I do? Right. Um, It's so hard. You know, that's a topic for another discussion, but obviously sleep hygiene and and, and just to think about the fact that it's very finicky um, when someone is actually trying sleep aids, like medicines, and we have all kinds, you know, we've got homeopathy, we've got amino acids, we've got herbs, we've got prescriptions for trying to help with sleep. So um, just keep this in mind is that if you have like 10 remedies, And one person, they could try nine remedies that didn't work for them, made them worse or groggy or something, did nothing, and the 10th one will work. So it can really take a lot of trial and error with sleep aids. And obviously the basics, I mean, this goes into sleep hygiene is, you know, not to be having stimulants like caffeine or sugar, probably after about 5 p.m., trying to get to bed on time and not um, watching or listening to or reading, exciting, awakening to things and topics, you know, so that's sleep. Another thing is, um, the huge category of stress, right? And this is so huge stress management and there, you know, there's a million different ways you can approach this, but I think one of the key things is, uh, focusing on the present moment and not thinking about the past or the future, which is where a lot of worries or rumination can come in. Um, and so this is where, you know, people recommend meditation, but I think what is also very helpful for people is is observing nature. Um, another thing is um, focusing on just how your body feels in terms of gravity, like your feet on the floor or on the ground or your body in the seat you're sitting to come into the present moment. Um, breathing, there's so many things a person can do. And observing nature, I know I'd heard one person um, talk about watching bees or other insects. That's lovely. So things that can help, especially if you've got a racy mind, because then you're watching something moving and it can slow the pace, you know?
0: Interesting. So, yeah.
1: Generalized stress management, right? And then for SIBO in particular, I mean those apply to everything, right? But for SIBO yeah. in particular, um, body work. Body work is really helpful. So it could be any kind of body work. It could be massage, chiropractic, um, any kind of muscle thing. And I like to recommend visceral um, visceral manipulation, which actually works on moving the organs, the abdominal organs, into the right place and working on adhesions and things like that. So that for SIBO is one of my big recommendations besides, you know, just taking antimicrobials.
0: Right. Love those. I mean, yeah, lifestyle is big for any condition and certainly for gut issues because of that gut brain connection and the connection with stress. So thank you. It sounds like there is hope out there for people. Now, is there hope for someone who's claimed to have tried everything and has been dealing with this for years on end? There's absolutely hope. (laughs) Yay.
1: First off, just has to be covered. This base is many people feel they have tried everything, but they haven't. So, because they maybe are unaware of all of their treatment options. So, just as an example, this is a true life example I, I've had presented to me many times. Let's say somebody has methane um, SIBO or EMO, and they've tried rifaximin and neomycin, and berberine and allicin. And they may say, I've tried everything, but there, there's also rifaximin and metronidazole they can try. Um, there's rifaximin and nidazoxanide. There's oregano or neem plus um, atrontil, or maybe again with Alimed, and then there's elemental diet. So I just wanted to bring out, that's just an example, but we have this for each of the types of SIBO. We have, you know, lists of the treatments, and just give it a look. Have you tried everything? I, I just can't tell you how often it's happened. Particularly, doctors will um, write me. Colleagues from medical school will write me. I have this patient who's tried everything. You know, we've done. Maybe they've even done three treatments. They'll say, "We've done everything," and I'm like, "Okay, you have five other treatments on the list." You know, mm-hmm. right? So there's one. Now, second is, have you found your underlying cause? Um, you may not be able to find it. It can be difficult to do that. But this is just a you know recommendation if you haven't started to look into that um, to to do that. So that's another thing. Now, if you really have tried many many things, um, we need to think about in this case mold, toxic mold illness. So mold exposure in you know your building or your workplace or your home. Um, another thing would be MCAS, so mast cell activation syndrome that can really inhibit treatments from working well as mold does, that they seem to just sort of prevent us being able to really treat SIBO, bring, the, bring it down or move the needle. And the third would be parasites. Parasitic infection seems to have the same sort of effect um, at times where we just can't get rid of the SIBO until we truly get rid of those parasites. It's odd because um, a lot of our antibiotics and herbal antibiotics work on parasites too, but I have found, um, as I've done this over the years, you do need to have really the specific agent for the specific organism, and sometimes you know we were too broad or we just missed the mark. So that those are things to think about. And then the last thing is, um, I did I did create a, a conference uh, that's online that people can access called the Next Steps for Treating Tough SIBO. And this actually has no antibiotics or antimicrobial treatments in it. It's focused entirely on other other things you could try to help move your your situation forward. Things like um, hypnotherapy, which could sound right off the bat ineffective. But in fact, there have been incredible studies done on um, great success on IBS, IBS symptoms, uh, with hypnotherapy and then things like frequency specific, um, microcurrent neural therapy, brain or neural retraining, and so much more that can just get at SIBO in different ways than, you know, than just the typical antimicrobial. So I could refer you to that and we can, we can include potentially include the link for that.
0: Yeah. Love that. So there are so many options out there. It's not just about diet and pills. There are just so many things that one could try for SIBO. So are you currently taking on patients, Dr. Seebecker?
1: <laughs> no, thanks for no. asking. Okay, No, I stopped um, some years ago to focus on my educational efforts that are still ongoing. <laughs> so um, I have a, a course for patients. It sounds like, Riley, you are familiar with that course. I am, uh, yeah. hmm I I think i will be there too. (laughs) SIBO recovery roadmap course. That's for patients. But then I have one that probably be more appropriate for you. That's um, for practitioners and that's called the SIBO pro course pro for professional. Um, And that's a longer course and much more medically oriented for practitioners. Those are the things I was working on. The other things that while I'm not seeing patients, right. The other things (laughs) are um, I've been writing a book on SIBO forever. (laughs) It's, very intensive and i look forward to when i finish that and also i've been updating my website and so for anyone who doesn't know i have a free educational informational website called SIBO info and i've been updating it and i can't wait till i can have that update out so those are the things i've been working on
0: love that yeah those take so much time so it's no wonder um but maybe one day we'd love to have you back seeing patients if that's even a thing i have in the it in future.
1: i have it in the, on the over here like <laughs> yup I have these projects I got to get done and then I'm going back. So, so much
0: to worry about. I know. Okay. And then you have a free practitioner training coming up, I think, which I will be at. So I'll be there. Um, Yeah. And then are you on social media? Where can people find you? You know what?
1: I'm not on social media. I mean, I have a couple of accounts, but I don't use them at all. Okay. (laughs) Because um, it just is uh, distracting for me. I'm really, these projects take all my time, you know? And so I don't use social media. I know I'm probably like the weirdest person.
0: (laughs) No, you are a professional. You're focusing. I love that. And are you still, you're
1: still with SIBO SOS here and there, correct? Yeah, SIBO SOS is you know, run by my friend, Siobhan Sarna, SIBO patient, and she and I are both uh, dedicated to education. And so we um, combine forces a lot. Uh, we did our patient course together and she helps me with my practitioner course. So we, we do a lot of educational things. We put a SIBO um, a masterclass series out as well. Um, and we've done summits together. So yeah, I'm still working with SIBO SOS, another phenomenal resource.
0: I love that. And then just quickly, how did you and Siobhan get connected? She was a patient
1: of mine. Oh wow, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, she came to me. Um, I had both an in-person practice here where I am in Portland, Oregon, as well as I always did telemedicine before I was technically allowed to, <laughs> because I just so desperate to help people everywhere I could. And um, she was one of my telemedicine patients and told me she was going to do a summit on SIBO and I had participated in summits for years but and I kept thinking we need to have a SIBO summit but I was aware having been involved in some of them of the incredible amount of work it's like a full-time job for you know three fourths of a year and I just couldn't do it and when she said she was going to do one I'm like Okay, I'll do it with you, and so we worked together on that, and that's how we. That's how, and so then we just continued to do educational, pro, you know, programming together after that. So I think we did two summits together, uh, back in I think that was 2017, uh, and then we've just continued with other projects. So yeah. <laughs> Awesome.
0: Yeah. And I got to say, I've learned so much from those summits and certainly from you. So thank you so much for my fellow practitioners who might be listening. Definitely participate in Dr. C. Becker's trainings. They are amazing. And then for anyone with difficult cases of SIBO, she also has Courses as well, even for patients. So there's so much knowledge there. Again, thank you so much, Queen oh, Allison Seebecker. So <laughs> I you're really so welcome. appreciate you. Uh, yeah, I would love to potentially in the future. I know you're busy, but maybe way in the future, have you on for a part two or something like I'd that. I'd love to. I'd okay. love to. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, again, I appreciate you and thanks for being on my show. <laughs> Hey there! Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at Gut Expert Riley, on Facebook at The Gut Pharmacist, same spelling as this podcast, on YouTube at The Gut Pharmacist, and my website is holisticriley.podia.com, where you can find information on working with me, my background, and more helpful information to feel empowered in your journey.